What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you another episode, checking in with everything going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my co-host Dave Martin, Swagger Dave. What's going on, man? Mr. Right Now, that's me, 21 <laughs> Savage from the clouds, baby. What a wonderful weekend. Yeah, you know, we were talking about how it's going to be a light pod, and in some respects, it's not our heaviest pod in terms of, you know, topics to discuss, but uh, Savage Giveth this week, and um, him and Metro dropping Savage Mode 2, we're going to be talking about that, as well as a Blackpink debut album, a couple of movies, but Dave, should we eulogize movie theaters at this point? Yeah. (laughs) There was a great... There's a great tweet I saw where someone was like, uh, the year is like 2050. And they're like, when I was when I was 30 years old, I was able to go see as many movies as I want for $10 a month. Yeah, it's just like, it's insane to think of where we were with MoviePass just a mere two years ago and the state of movies right now. I mean, shit, I'm, I'm, again, I'm, ha- I'm happy to pay more than the $10 a month for AMC A-List. Mm-hmm. And I have friends that will do the same for Rico Unlimited. Problem is that there's a no sustained box office, so now there's no new movie releases, and thus no one's going to the movies, and thus movie theaters are closing, mm-hmm. while also hemorrhaging money. It's, it's a terrible mess, and at this rate, I don't think anyone expects any major film to release for the end of the year. There's, there's no reason to believe that. Wonder Woman 1984 and Soul, the Pixar film, are both still dated, as well as uh, Death on the Nile, but those are going to move. There's no doubt about that. And that means that, what, you've got to wait till like, February for something? You know? What happens to those movie theaters in the meantime? We already know that Sin World is closing all their locations this week, which includes all the Regal cinemas here in the U.S. So it's uh, it's bleak and honestly really disappointing because if you don't have movie theaters to make theatrical grosses happen, then you don't get these big blockbusters that people like because you can't justify their costs. Mm-hmm. So, and I, you know, there's been some lobbyist comments from the theater groups and stuff pointing blame, blah, blah, blah notions that studios should release movies even if they won't make a profit just to keep the viability of the business going and it's like it's really messy and i just hope that the whole model of going to the movie theater can survive in some form you know but even if the major chains are able to survive when big movies return to the public a lot of independent change and smaller theaters will never open again you know it's 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 terrible I know. I was thinking about a movie theater near me. It's a Greenberg. Uh, oh man, I can't remember what the, the theater type is, but it should, it's where I go to see all like the artsy films that we talk about on here. You know, small movie releases for the most mm-hmm. part. And uh, I can't imagine that they're going to be able to survive. That they're ever, you know, going to be opening their doors after this. It's it's sad because when you think about and we've been talking about this over the last couple of years, how movies are increasingly going in one or two directions, either really small budget artsy films or the really big budget blockbuster films. And the the middle class is kind of dying out. And it feels like that 
divide is going to be made even larger by the fact that the small budget ones most likely will end up being movies that probably go to on demand a lot faster and the only thing movie theaters will be showing probably when they open back up are just going to be big blockbusters that they know will get people in the door right away. So it just feels like the, uh, you know, the division in terms of movies that are, are made is just going to grow increasingly larger. Perhaps we'll start to see some, you know, some more things like uh, Amazon studios, Apple, Netflix, continuing to make these smaller movies or picking up that middle tier. That's always a possibility, but we've also talked about, you know, the issue of, the streaming services being the ones who are propelling the movies out there and the theater experience that comes with that. Amazon has been considering, you know, or has been buying movie theaters in order to put their movies out. But uh, I just feel like the further we, we get away from the the way things have been, the more it feels like these changes may not actually benefit movie goers in the long run. So just, uh, it's very sad and uh, wear masks, man. Like I, people that aren't taking COVID seriously at this point, um, things aren't gonna just turn around because you want them to. Like you, mm-hmm. we, we need a big societal shift in that. Any last thoughts before we move on? Well, you know, and it's interesting too to see. Like you look elsewhere in the world, the Chinese box office is back to full strength, and there's a lot of locally made movies that have putting up huge numbers. The uh, highest-grossing film of the year is now the 800, a Chinese uh, war epic. You know, and elsewhere like in europe that society over there is ready to get new movies but those theaters are now also going to take the hit because of what's happened in north america and thus is leading all the western releases to get delayed you know so it's it's a big mess and <laughs> you know big mess it's, it's uh yeah i just i just hope it can survive in some fashion because like as you were saying like if you're someone who likes to go to the movies a lot um that might become a tougher prospect and a more expensive one and that's unfortunate because it seemed like the tide was going the other direction in that not too long ago you know but now if you have to pay for a lot more rentals it's gonna add up a lot faster i think than buying a few tickets or having a theater subscription so we'll see streaming wars might become a lot more interesting moving forward so we'll we'll see and we'll be talking about it so Stay subscribed. You know, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe or soundcloud.com to follow the podcast any way you want to. Dave, behind you is YG. Watch out. Uh, <laughs> dropped his most recent album, My Life 400. Uh, a follow up to a pretty underwhelming album just, uh, just a year ago, for real, for real. Um, I mean, and stay dangerous. I think we also were per- even more underwhelmed by. I think for real, for real was I felt like it was maybe a step in the right direction, yes. in a sense. Um, you know, after still brazy, uh, I think YG felt like someone that you wanted to be investing in. Stock was going up. You know, getting it on the ground floor type thing. Uh, I still bump fuck Donald Trump all the time <laughs> banger of a song but dave where where are you at with this now are you selling all your yg stock after my life 400 no no not selling not selling i mean this is album whole five day. for yg it just kind of feels like a random fifth album to me like it's uh doesn't have as many hits as uh my crazy life it's not as impressive and uh introducing new genres the way still brazy did 
but it's not nearly as generic and uh, uninspired as uh, Stay Dangerous. And it's probably kind of on par, maybe a little step below For Real For Real. So it's like kind of just like a another entry for YG. And like, I think that's okay. Like, I think it's still pretty solid. But yeah, I mean, the highs are still crazy. They, they, they do feel uh, more and more out of, out of reach the more mm-hmm. uh, we get. I mean, YG is still only like 30 years old. He's just a pretty active member of the LA rap scene. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon at all. But yeah, when you, when you drop a Cali G Funk record in 2017, you just raise the, the expectations, I think. And um, he doesn't seem to be interested in that all that much. And, you know, I think uh, the new song on this FTP, Fuck the Police, doesn't hit nearly the same as FDT does and still no. does. So other than that, he doesn't seem to have as much interest in the more, you know, socio-political songs that he did like he did on Still Brazy. So I guess it depends what you're asking for from him. I think there's some, still some good joints on here. Yeah, I think the, that is probably the right question is what are we asking of YG? And I guess when when you're thinking about where we thought he was going and where he's kind of gone, like the word that comes to mind is just kind of like mid at this point. And not, not that um not not that him as an artist is necessarily like not a good artist but i think from where the ceiling seemed to be to where he is now i think he's you know very comfortably in that mid-tier but there's nothing on this album that made me feel more optimistic you know about uh especially after for real for real this felt like you said i think a lot more in line and honestly the the middle of the album I found pretty just like uninspired and not really like interesting <laughs> to, to be completely honest. I think there's a couple of songs that maybe stick out a bit, but um, you know, for me, I, I thought actually Bloodwalk, the second song with Wayne was uh, at least caught my ear, a change up in terms of what we're doing, you know, I had that like flute um, like part that was kind of riding through the, the beat, which is pretty nice. Um, Rodeo, I thought it was pretty good. Although I gotta say, like, uh, the beat was good. I don't know if I really like Tyga and Chris Brown on the song, um, but I, I enjoyed the beat on that. And then yeah. uh, it's a, it's a really good beat. FTP. I got I gotta be honest. Like, all I kept thinking was the song has been done a lot better by a lot better yeah. artists in the past. Yeah, that came out pretty soon after George Floyd happened, and like, salute for trying to put something out real real quick and all but yeah not in a pretty boilerplate as far as that kind of stuff goes fortunately mm-hmm. um which again disappointing because fdt is a really great track um yeah. i really like jealous the first song i liked out on bail those kind of remind me it's like classic yg flows yg bounce you know mm-hmm. but rodeo chris brown tiger they have a lot of chemistry together they've made a lot of music together that kind of feels like a chris brown tiger song to me more than it does a yg song with chris brown tiger um i thought little tj was actually used the way you should be he should be used on hate on me it's unexpected but ultimately i thought the features on this were just a little strange like i did not need little mosey on thug cry i actually thought cowboy something i don't really like was pretty good on that but little mosey just should not have been there and gunna like i don't need yg making songs with gunna i'm sorry so like <laughs> it just like I wasn't impressed, but I think it's like there's still a moment or two and that's okay, I guess. But yeah, I mean why why G just seems pretty complacent with where he's at right now. 
So yeah. that's what we're getting. And complacent is a good word. He picked a bad weekend to drop this because search engine optimization, the CEO is crushing him right now because if you search YG on social, you search YG anywhere else, you're getting YG entertainment because of the Black Pink album. Mm-hmm. So it's like he's just getting buried. <laughs> not good. Yeah. It, you know, I was in um, New York City the other day and I saw so many people walking around with like black pink outfits or like dressed like them. And uh, mm. we're, we're going to talk about them in a second, but I did not see many people dressed like YG. So I, I agree. We're on the, the wrong in- coast for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that, that's also true. So I'll, although <laughs> it would be interesting to see what uh, the ratio was for, for that. But why don't we move on to someone else who, uh, I don't know, I guess we haven't really talked about them that much. Bryson Tiller dropping anniversary this past weekend. Um, have we have we even talked about Bryson mm-hmm. on the pod? 2017, his sophomore album, True to Self, came out in the summer. And it was a major, major letdown for all involved. And if you talk to Bryson now, he's like, yeah, I was burnt out. I didn't care about that album. And boy, did it show. That was one <laughs> of the most disappointing sophomore efforts I, I, I can remember, to be honest. And that was because that debut album, Drap Soul, from 2015 was so great and had so many highs so yeah it's been a minute i was gonna say i i couldn't even remember if we had talked about him but yeah so it's been a couple of years and anniversary going into it i think i'll say my expectations were kind of just not even there i was like we'll, we'll see what comes out of this uh i was aware that um that debut album was pretty fire obviously didn't really remember much about the second album mm-hmm. and I felt like this was pretty good. Like, I, I'm not going to stand here and tell you this was album of the year, but uh, I think the sound on this and just the overall energy coming from Bryson uh, is a step in the right direction. Uh, and I'm pleased with that. How are you feeling after it? He's back, baby. Ooh, He's done it. Dave loved it. So exciting, dude. So exciting. You know, when Trap Soul came out, I think what, what, what was so exciting about Bryson is he, he was very much a disciple of the house of Drake. You have this pure hit making ability combined with R and B and hip hop cadence. He's definitely more R and B whereas Drake is obviously more rap, but like you could see the clear comparison. And then he doesn't sign to OVO records despite being the offer kind of following the weekend footsteps to do his own thing and not go mm-hmm. into the shadow. But then you get that true to self album, which is, basically just R&B, but it's like that really sleepy, nondescript R&B that no one really likes. And, you know, I never thought it was a flash in the pan, but like, you know, then he, as he became more reclusive and spent time with his daughter and it just seemed like maybe he was just going to fade away. But you get a feature once in a while, right? You get the wild thoughts feature. You know, everyone remembers Rihanna on that, but Bryson was also really good on that too. Of course, the DJ Khaled song. And I, I just had been waiting for something, right? And we got like, there's a loose single here or there, a fee, Summer Walker feature. Like he'd, he'd pop up and in, in and around. It's like, when is Bryson going to like get back to like being himself? And I think on anniversary, you get a lot of the things that people like about Bryson Tiller. On um, uh, Things Change, that sounds just like Trap Soul. That's classic Trap Soul sound. Uh, timeless interlude you get more of that hip-hop cadence right um he finally got a drake feature on at a time and that's just a pure art and he saw him and had hearing him and drake actually harmonize a little bit mm. 
I think that's not R&B Drake. It's not my favorite Drake, but I think that's really good R&B Drake on that. Um, Inhale, which was uh, one of the first singles. That SWV sample is freaking fire, dude. And the way it's like chopped up and slowed down later in the track. Yeah. Like, th- there's just a lot of moments on this, which is great because it's only a 30 minute project. And ultimately, I, I, all I wanted was this to be like a uh, something that would demonstrate confidence that Bryson Tiller is back and in, in the right sp- space. And clearly he is. And that's awesome. So with, uh, with someone like Bryson, right? It feels like. I mean, he should be doing what Chris Brown was doing for YG, right? Coming in, singing these hooks, really like doing this. Do you think that that's kind of the move for him or do you want him to be making albums like in this way? Because it seems like, especially because he took this couple year break, um, like you said, he was spending more time with his daughter. Maybe that's where he found a little bit more of this inspiration that kind of got him back to form. It, it feels like we should be hearing him doing these hooks and these like short features but taking time in between albums to really like find that focus. Is that kind of what you want to see from him moving forward? Yeah. I mean, generally I feel like he makes good impressions on his features. Like I mentioned that summer Walker one, people really like that song um, a few years back. Now at this point on Travis's birds in the trap, he's awesome on first tape. Um, what, why can't he be like Ty Dolla Sign? You know? Hmm. Yeah. Why, why don't we give some of the black features to Bryson? I think they would be better, you know? <laughs> But like I, I think he, he has like sneaky versatility though because he actually can do like more hip hop stuff right. and, it, and it sounds good. It doesn't seem corny or contrived. So mm-hmm. like I think Black, <laughs> not to keep harping on him, but like Black, you know, he's in Spillage Village, but like you ain't you ain't rapping dog, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, and you know, you you picked out a couple of the songs I thought really stood out. Um, I'm ready for you. It's probably my favorite track. I really yeah, liked. Awesome but, yeah, I loved how his vocals were kind of like that, like distant, distorted sound, um, and then it had like the beat popping in and out over. It, it just really came together well. Um, you know, I, I don't think that that this is gonna be his best work. I think still the the debut is probably the mm-hmm. best album he's put out, but uh, definitely a step in the right direction. So good to see from Bryson. Any other thoughts on, on him or this album in general? Uh, I like the album cover because it's like a juxtaposition of the Trap Soul cover. It looks cool. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's still rocking the black hat because he's literally never been seen without said hat, and that continues to this day. So you a lot of like that consistency. <laughs> um, he did tweet, I think it was, that more is coming soon. Mm-hmm. So... Hopefully that's good. Hopefully he's becomes a more active member of the R and B and hip hop scene. That would be a welcome, welcome presence. He, but if he wants to go away, I guess that's cool too. At least he's, I think, got people back in a certain sense. And that was kind of like that was it. That's what this was. The album was about. Like if he didn't get people back on this, and this was another flop, I think I think it, it was it was kind of over for him trying to reach those highs because people would just be checked out. Because we're five years away from Trap Soul at this point. It's been a while. It has been so a while. He uh he did what he had to do on this. Good to see. Um someone else that did what they had to do this weekend. Twenty one. Man, dropping kind of from nowhere. Savage yeah. mode two. Uh we obviously talked about twenty one back in twenty eighteen. I am mm-hmm. greater than I was. I think it almost made both of our top ten list honorable mention, at least. Uh, especially for an album that came out at the very beginning of yeah. that year. 
Well, well, no, that's the thing. It came out at the end of 2018, end so of our lists right. were done. Right. It came out like a few days before Christmas. Yeah. So you don't make any lists when you do that. <laughs> but a great album. Met- and and yeah. like it demonstrated like that continued growth and, again, the unexpected reality that was 21 Savage kind of evolving into this really impressive top-of-the-game Atlanta rapper. Mm-hmm. It's not what people expected when they heard Red Ops in 2016. Right. Like it's been a long journey. And uh, it's also been uh, a long two years for 21, of course, after uh, everything happened with those fucks at ICE, you know, mm-hmm. and his uh, citizenship coming into question and stuff like that. Yeah, I kind of forgot that that happened, but what an insane story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but anyway, so... End of 2018, we get I Am Greater Than I Was. A couple of years and things going on. Savage Mode 2 drops, follow-up from 2016 Savage Mode. Metro booming on the ones and twos. Dave, how are you feeling about this album? This is one of the best rap albums of the year. Yeah, easily. it really is. Easily. This shit is freaking flames. And no, was no the talk skips? of the town all weekend. It's fucking fire. It's fucking fire. <laughs> um, I, I think that that's the thing about this is if, if you're dropping a surprise album, you know, it's really got a hit or it's just kind of like, okay, why didn't, mm-hmm. why did you make this a surprise album? So he must've known that this was fire. And uh, yeah, I, I was, I'm pretty much on the boat where I don't think there's a skip on this. Like um, I think everything's features, at least good. Yes. And that's, a, it, that's amazing. I'm so happy. <laughs> I know, and that it's either good to like very, very good, great range. And I, I ran out of room. I leave myself like a certain amount of room on my notes to like write, and I like ran out of room for the songs that I liked on this album. So, um, <laughs> we we have a lot to to start with. But I think the thing that stood out most for me is this is a very cohesive sound. I think there's a couple of of tracks that are a little more upbeat, but mostly it's like that icy kind of like horror, scary movie type feel to this so it's very much of the, of the time of year as well you got morgan freeman narrating these uh skits throughout Insane. which is just such a flex uh i mean when i heard morgan freeman kicking this thing off i, I listened to this going for a run which is probably the best run i've had in a very long time and I, yeah i was just like morgan freeman's on this like what uh kind of crazy um you know, I, I don't know. Like, where do you want to start? There's a lot to break down here. You know, you mentioned the production and sounding like, yeah. like the spooky production, which makes a lot of sense because Metro. it sounds kind of like Without Warning did, mm. which was the 21 Savage and Offset album, of course, that was also produced entirely by Metro Boomin. So yep. you kind of can see that uh, through here. But I think Metro, you know, Metro, he's done a lot of collab albums. Not all of them have hit. You know, I, let's not forget he did a one album with Nav, he did one with Big Sean. You don't need to listen to those; those weren't any good. But <laughs> on this one, I think God, he, he Metro's like kind of showing off. Like on Glock in yeah. My Lap, there's like really impressive strings. Yep. On Stepping on Dudes, you got this West Coast vibe, and he's on his Dr. Dre shit with the keys. You know, uh, he's always kind of like a flashy producer. That's mm-hmm. kind of his style. But I think he really acquitted himself well on this even like said and done the last track there's yeah. kind of like this like twinkle to the beat especially in the beginning and then you have like hardcore like you know trap beat under that too like 
he, he, he was great on this and you know, producers can, can be, can be amazing 10 out of 10, but if you don't have the lyrics or the uh, vocal performances, it's only going to go so far, but thankfully 21 uh, was more than capable because he also just completely showed out on this. And as you said, yeah. you also get out of nowhere, Morgan Freeman in a major way on this. It's not like just yeah. the intro or just an interlude. It's multiple bits of narration and uh, setting up songs. It's quite, quite unexpected. Yeah. You know, I'm reading through my notes here and like almost every song I wrote down, I was like, this beat's fucking crazy. But uh, Many Men might've been my favorite one. It had that really fast uh, like drum kit to it, but um, with like this do, 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 do behind it. And it just like came together so well. And 21 just like glides over that track. I thought that was a really impressive overall, like song overall. You mentioned Glock in my lap. Uh, that's probably one of the standouts for me. That song is just absolute yeah, flames. Just fire. Yeah. Um, and it, and that, that feels like a very 21 song, like something he might've even made before with just without the production at that level. Um, Stepping on is the song that I really loved a lot. I thought that was a great track. What do you think about the features on this, though? You know, we get Drake again. Second time we're talking about him this week. Young Thug. Yeah. Young Nudie. Great mm-hmm. name. I think him and Young Nudie are related. I forget. Hmm. I think they're cousins. Um, but, yeah. Uh, that is about as perfect a Drake feature as there is. Yep. And Mr. Right Now, which is quickly becoming the biggest song on this album after one weekend. Uh you get 21 completely showing out on the track, right? And then Drake coming in and does all the things you want Drake to do with a rap feature. He's mimicking the flow of the lead performer. He's dropping some kind of viral reference or moment <laughs> about, you know, I used to date SZA back in 08, which SZA recently clarified was actually 09. For, uh, I guess legal reasons, who knows? But uh, <laughs> you get all this stuff, and at the end, as he fades out, when they go back into the hook, him and Twenty One harmonize, I and know. it sounds amazing. They harmonize longer <laughs> on this than Ariana and Lady Gaga did on Rain on Me. Like it's insane. Uh, <laughs> that that shit's amazing. That's what probably one of my favorite songs of the year already. Um, mm. Yeah, th- th- like I said, that that's exactly what you want from a Drake rap feature. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought, and I, I actually really liked the Young Thug feature too on um, the the next track. Uh, Mister, right now, I think is probably the one that's going to make our playlist. Nostalgia Best of 2020. Check that out. Um, but yeah, uh, there's not there's not a bad track on this, like you said. I think there's only tracks that are good and tracks that are better. What other tracks stood out to you, or which ones you want to talk about? Yeah, I liked. Uh... I like sliding a lot. I think that was yep. a great example of, of the underrated ability of 21's hooks. You know, he's like sliding, looking for my ops. They've been hiding. You know, it's like, yep. he, he, again, like the guy who used to be like murder gang shit, shit. Like he's just come so far. Um, really, really likes the performance on that. Uh, running the first track, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's got a video already. That one, that's just kind of a catchy Catchy banger. I like that one. But, um, oh, uh, brand new Draco is also Flames. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think to me, 
it was up to me. I'd say 21's the best rapper in Atlanta. Um, wow. You know, I mean, he's not as popular as Future. But I think he's kind of the best right now. He's doing it everything. It's awesome. Yeah, you know, in talking about that, like, stock up, stock down perspective, I mean, he's a he's a surprise. He's, he's like, buying Starbucks back in, like, 98, dude. Like, at this <laughs> point, like it feels yeah, like... Sure like he actually has raised the roof of his potential a lot over mm-hmm. these last couple of albums. Yeah. And I mean, working with Metro, I think can do that for a lot of people, but um, he, he's flexing at this point. I, I think the mm-hmm. sky could be the limit for him. Yeah. I think the, the actual King of Atlanta right now, like in terms of like objective, like statistics and stuff will be little baby who is, mm-hmm. has the best selling album of the year right it's now. Crazy. Which is, which is <laughs> nuts. We'll see if, uh, he holds Del Taylor Swift in that regard, but yeah, I, I think Twenty One just continues to just hit a high bar, and that's awesome. And yeah. for some like un, like an unexpected drop, as you said, to deliver it at, at at such a high level as well is 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 awesome and rare in hip hop. So great stuff. Well, Dave, you mentioned before YG had a, uh, a d- bad weekend for SEO. <laughs> and that that's because Blackpink dropped their debut album, The Album, which is a great album name. And speaking of uh, SEO. Yeah. And I gotta say, um Blackpink, you know, we, we talk we talked a lot about BTS on this, we talked about Blackpink a, a decent amount. Um they feel like they have potential to to dethrone them eventually, BTS. Mm. I mean, we talked about how they've broken records on YouTube when they've dropped videos, things oh, yeah. like that. And it feels like it's between them and BTS now just to like break YouTube video records for the next, I don't know, however many years. It um, literally just happened. Yeah. They set <laughs> the insane. record. They set the record again with uh, how you like that back in uh, June, August, whenever that was, mm-hmm. uh, which is the lead single for this debut album back in August. Uh, no, sorry, back in June, 86.3 million views first 24 hours, and then BTS rebroke the record again in August with Dynamite. Um, so you have to imagine they'll continue to trade back and forth because they've both set that record multiple times at this point. It's just really cool to see. But even apart from BTS, like Blackpink is the most subscribed to group on YouTube. Uh, I think they're like the second or third most subscribed to musical artist period on the platform. And obviously the biggest female group in the world. And if you think about female groups, they're the biggest since who? Like, like we, we talked about BTS. It was like, you know, since like One Direction. Like you, you, there, there's more male groups, but like female groups on a national stage, it's like Destiny's Child and Spice Girls. Like it's been yeah. a fucking long time that yeah. someone's been at this level for even this, this short amount of time because Blackpink has only really been putting out music for a few years coming into this album they only had 15 official songs if i feel like and you're all, really, all 15 are hits like it feel like you're if, really if, forgetting boy genius in this discussion uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh no but your your point is well taken i think that they are uh, a unicorn in a sense that uh, groups like them that have this star power and are all female um, and this music hit making ability come around maybe like once in a decade. And uh, you can really hear on the album why they're so popular because, um, you know, you, you, you get two huge features on this, but 
even the songs without the features, I think are really, really strong. Um, I don't know if I loved all of these, but they make music in a very distinct way. Their song structure feels so unique to me for some reason. Like they have these like weird change-ups, like pre-chorus build-ups that just like really bring you in. And then they have these super catchy choruses. There's each song sounds like it's like influenced by different uh, things. It's just really, uh, really interesting to listen to this. How did you feel listening to the album? Yeah, you know, to that point, I feel like you can kind of hear the dance breaks Mm. and choreography moments that will accompany the songs. And K-pop in general is very much a visual medium, a visual genre. Intense choreography, whether it's in a music video or a live set, is a huge part of the music. And you can kind of like hear, if you listen to this album, you can kind of hear it's like, oh, this is the moment where X will happen and all the fans will take the video here and then I'll see those videos under chart data tweets for the next year, (laughs) like the fan cams, right? Like you can kind of just like see like the construction of it. But yeah, I feel like just about all their songs, especially like the banger ones, like how you like that, like Mm -hmm. those songs are just engineered to be nonstop all the time even even as they progress from verse to chorus to hook you know to whatever right yep and on the other hand like if you listen to actual sounds of this right like you have a lot of like big maximalist edm drops which is not new in k-pop at all but like it almost feels like throwback to me right mm-hmm. like i think it, it's cool to compare them to bts because bts is doing very different things musically especially when you listen to dynamite their newest hit which is kind of a throwback almost disco song right but blackpink is very much dedicated to that like big 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 pop from like five plus years ago that used yeah. to be the only thing you like got at k-pop so it's uh it's it's interesting to see um one thing that i immediately set out to me was this album is only eight tracks and yeah. because blackpink had only released eps and singles to this point i wonder if that's a disappointment to the the blinks because Blackpink's MO has almost been just kind of like teasing the streets versus feeding the streets, you know? Yep. But I I almost feel like that works in favor of two things. One, um, we praise short albums, but people are going to, I think, just want more. And I think anytime you leave people wanting more, wanting to hear more tracks, it's never a bad thing, especially with a group like this who already has such a rabid fan base like you keep them on the line if you can bts puts out a ton of stuff and i'm always impressed by like their albums how much work they're putting into it i mean they must also be taking language classes on the side with all this it's it's insane the amount of work that these people do to hold down these two markets so well and i guess like just an international market in general at this point but um thing is that they really back back it up with the music on this like like you were saying it does have a throwback feel with the edm drops but i was really feeling it a lot of them um how you like that you know you mentioned that's obviously like one of the banger tracks but a song like pretty savage i thought was was really really strong um bet you want it with cardi i mean (laughs) cardi just like was like i'm just gonna get the bag real quick and like be on this for like 20 seconds i feel like but I, that had a different feel than a lot of the songs on the album, and I thought it worked okay. Yeah, it did. She, Cardi, was tweeting about how she didn't like that she had to be PG, and like you, you kind of like 
can understand why like culturally like the, the very explicit lyrics and frankness of cardi b is just not very not doesn't really exist <laughs> <laughs> in most yeah. asian music right but hearing cardi kind of like hold back it, it, it did kind of feel weird to me like she was like trying her hardest to rein herself in and it was weird to me because you listen to sour uh, not, uh, ice cream with selena mm-hmm. gomez which is just littered with sexual innuendo yep. even if it's still technically like all pg you know <laughs> and it's like i mean you could have had cardi do this too like yeah this is kind of strange just switched tracks i think with selena but um i thought selena's uh like verse or i guess guest spot yeah. was pretty strong too um I definitely like that collab more than Sour Candy from Lady Gaga's album. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and then on, on the second half of the album, um, I really thought uh, Crazy Over You had that like Middle Eastern vibe to it. Um, That's the best really, rapping on the album too. Yeah, for sure. Those were, and, and Love to Hate Me too, I thought it was a really strong track. So I, I, I don't know if there's anything on here I didn't like, um, but there are definitely a few songs that stood out for me and, it just feels like sky's the limit for, for Blackpink. Like mm-hmm. you, you saw the, the the crowd at Coachella that was waiting for them, and yeah. uh, the spectacle of that is it's obvious that they're going to be around for as long as they want to be, pretty much. Right, absolutely. Um, Love sick girls. That chorus, that really, mm-hmm. really like shouty chorus. Something again, you can just see that yep. how that goes in a live setting. Like you, you just know you know what that's about. Um, yeah, like think of the production, like. It's almost like lots of trap and synths, right? Like I think like like Super M, the K-pop supergroup that just dropped last week, which we didn't talk about. That's like lots of like Euro dance EDM, which is more traditional K-pop. But it seems like for whatever reason, Blackpink is really focused on that maximalist drops from a few years back. So no one else is really doing that. So by all means, do it. You know, it's all yeah. good. Um, also, I want to say there's a nice uh, profile about Blackpink in L, which was a lovely read, hmm. eye opening, and just kind of peek behind the curtain of how busy and how uh, hard these four women work. Because when you're a member of a K-pop outfit in general, it, it comes with a lot of work. But I feel like when you're this freaking famous, it's insane. And you know, not to talk about BTS, I know the the fans don't always get along, but BTS, they're like, oh, we can't tour this summer. Let's make another fucking album this year because we have nothing else to do. Like, <laughs> those guys work so freaking hard, too. Yeah. Dave, I'm just glad that your L Magazine subscription finally paid off. So Yeah, man. Uh, We've been getting on the ground floor, man. We're, we're, we're <laughs> out here. Uh, any last thoughts on Blackpink? Uh, they're in your area, man. They're here. I'm in your area. Okay. We're moving on then to The Glorias, directed by Julia Taymor. A, uh, got, her ch- got her chops in, in directing on stage, actually, which we'll, uh, we'll talk about another um, director that got his break in, in stage directing as well in the next segment. But The Glorias, starring Julianne Moore and Alicia Vikander. Um, you know, we've we've talked about Gloria Steinem more this year than uh, we ever have on the pod, obviously. But yes. talking about <laughs> Mrs. America, you know, we've uh, we were very tuned into her story as she was uh, a major factor um, 
in that show, played by Rose Byrne. Here, portraying Glor- uh, Gloria Steinem at different points of her life, whether that be childhood, teenagehood, or I guess like maybe like pre-teenagehood, adulthood, or young adulthood, yeah. and then older adulthood. You kind of get the idea of Gloria's life story. Um, interesting na- uh, internal narrative framing device of having all the Glorias on a bus riding somewhere and, and kind of using travel as a, a theme throughout the movie to drive the plot along. Um, I found this this movie to be informative and interesting, a little long and boring at points though how were you feeling after you finished the glorias yeah i mean Gloria steinem is obviously someone deserving of the biopic treatment but the glorias just kind of has that traditional biopic feel like it does a lot there's a lot of beats that -hmm. come up that you kind of see coming and again like as you said the educational value is great because that's something that was a big part of why Miss America was so valuable. And I think when we watched uh-huh. Miss America, we're like, wow, it'd be great to have more time with all these people. You know, Miss America was so much of a piece and uh, so many people coming in and out at the, as they kind of intersected with uh, Phyllis Schlafly primarily, right. right? And having this one focus on uh, just Gloria Steinem, of course, like, oh, well, that should be good. And, you know, Bella Abzug is here as well. Mm-hmm. And um, some other people that were in the show, like the what's her name the, the who janelle monet plays too yeah um the co-founder of miss magazine uh but because there's a lot of like fat on the movie because it's two and a half hours long and it's doing the whole life story like don't know if we needed all the stuff with her as a kid you know like it's it's kind of a lot of familiar beats and you know going in knowing this was a sundance film from this year back when film festivals still were uh at physical locations um yep. you know and that inherently like tells you oh there's a lot riding on this and I, this was you know well reported on movie as the glorious sign of biopic but um i guess what i liked about it most was that it, it did take it like through more present times versus miss america which is very much focused on like a what 10 15 year period primarily right mm-hmm. so from the educational value there's obviously stuff to get but movie making it, it's kind of standard and i wish the screenplay was tight a little tighter yeah i you know i i think um the parts i was way more engaged were were the julianne moore parts and i found myself with the vicander parts kind of tuning in and out you know um i thought it was interesting to see her uh development you know as this like um you know playboy bunny trying to break into like real magazine writing and journalism. Um, and I, that part I found interesting, but some of the stuff um, like with her dad um, played by Timothy Hutton and uh, like her family, I feel like for some reason that just did not strike a chord with me or hit with me for some reason. Mm-hmm. I, I think maybe because I had already kind of, um, gotten the 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 sense of where that was going and felt like that could have been like you said played down a bit the the childhood stuff i feel like there was just way too many examples although i I kind of understood why a lot of them were included um i I think the hard part about a biopic in this sense is uh 
Gloria had some interesting circumstances that certainly shaped her worldview. And there's a lot of pieces to that. Um, but because there were so many things that impacted her worldview, whether it be her family or her traveling or her parents' relationship or growing up in poverty, um, there's so much to show to kind of give that perspective. It almost feels a bit like it made the movie too long to actually feel uh, focused in, in some parts. So uh, yeah. I was actually kind of disappointed because I, I can't really remember the last time I saw a Vikander in a role I was like super jazzed about for her. Yeah, her stock is down. She just hasn't been in amazing movies in a while. It's unfortunate. Um, it's Tomb not Raider. even like she hasn't been working. Like she, like I, I'm not going to blame her for being in Tomb Raider because she's been in other movies. Get that bag. Like, yeah. You know, like Earthquake Bird was just kind of all right. Yeah. You know, it's like she just kind of hasn't been in anything too exciting in a while. And we know how talented she is, of course, but definitely looking looking for her to get back. There's something a little better. And again, on the surface, this this could have been it, you know, but it just didn't come together. You know, playing young yeah. Gloria Steinem, that that is should be a good role, but didn't work. Uh, any last thoughts before we wrap this one up? Um, still happy to see it because I'll watch just about anything these days because there's nothing <laughs> else new. Yeah, it's free on Amazon Prime. So if you have Prime, uh, check that out. And most people have Netflix at this point. So you can also check out Boys in the Band, directed by Joe Mantello. Also got his, uh, earned his chops in stage acting, like mm-hmm. things like uh, Wicked, I believe, was one of his sh- first shows. Um, just saw him in Hollywood this year. He's also yep. pretty primarily an actor, really. And Boys in the Band was a, a play back from the 1960s, I believe mm-hmm. 1968, um, got, went off Broadway and was revived by the cast you see in the film on Netflix back in 2018. If I recall, that won a ton of Tonys and received a lot of acclaim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it won um, Best Revival that year, yes. And, uh, I mean, the the cast on this is just stacked. You know, you have Jim Parsons, um, Boy, I'm now I'm blanking on all the names, of course. Zachary Quinto. Yes, thank Andrew you. Andrew Reynolds. What, yep. So uh, you, have, you have a ton of very talented and experienced actors here telling this story about uh, being a gay man in America back in the 19, I guess, 1960s, 1970s. Uh, time is a little bit, you know, not specifically mm-hmm. said. But... Um, I found this to be a really intense and, and moving watch, but not something that totally um, made me feel like, wow, you know, and I'm, I'm not quite sure exactly why I think I'm thinking I'm still kind of working it out in my head. Um, this has like a, I believe an 80% Rotten Tomatoes. So four fifths of people say that this is a really, really good, movie and especially i think an adaptation of a play to a movie where do you stand with it yeah i i think it starts off really strong too because i was immediately taken with the theatrical nature of the film adaptation it's very much staged like a play yeah it's basically just set in this one apartment a very impressive apartment might i add one thing that briefly took me out of it when I, when, when I was told that Jim Parsons' character doesn't pay any of his bills, yet somehow lives in this 
a great, great apartment with a balcony right. and a second story, like a duplex thing. I was like, wow, mm-hmm. that's uh, definitely a product of the 60s. Cool. Yep. <laughs> um, but you know, as you watch it and you're like, you, you, see, you see the the dialogue, it's pretty consistent, right? Because it's a, a, a movie, because it's a play, just about people talking in rooms. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And it'll live and die based on the strength of that acting and the strength of that script. And like you said, as you said, this is the reunion of the, the cast from the revival, just like the movie from 1970 was the reunion of the cast from the, the play in 68. And it was interesting to me seeing this for the first time, and I had never seen any other versions of it, seeing this after something like Call Me By Your Name because of how different they are, right? Um, obviously, both versions of the play and movie are featuring all out gay men in the cast and yet uh, this is a criticism of the play at the time and yet you're getting a lot of like the woe is me self-loathing nature to the gay story and uh, get get gay experience right in in america and that's something that um has almost reinforced stereotypes in the past so i can understand where that, that criticism it came from but and from what I understand, the play and everything kind of had a critical uh, reawakening when it's kind of realized that this was more about like this was by gay people for gay people first. And it's like, you know, inherently that audience is going to get more out of it than other people. But I, I still I still really liked it. And I think that was because I think, you know, the performances are really committed. You have to imagine that this yeah. is a. Uh, when when you when you've done this play so many times, you can kind of just make this movie in your sleep for yep. this cast. I have to imagine it was it, w- it was pretty easy, um, and I thought it really looked uh, looked awesome. And I'm just kind of thinking about it, right? Because this is taking place in '68. This is like on the cusp of the gay liberation movement, right? So like it makes sense that all these men are struggling with their identity in some way, because that's what it was like back then. Mm-hmm. Right, and I think I think it gives you a lot to chew on, just because it kind of throws a lot at you pretty quickly. And I like most of the performances. Jim Parsons uh, carries most of the movie, and he inherently does a lot of Jim Parsons things, including becoming a very grating presence as his character uh, gets drunker and more antagonistic and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, Parsons' character in a lot of ways, especially as he had drunker, reminded me of his character from Hollywood in a sense, you know. And I, I think that was a little bit distracting for me because um, I was like, oh, this feels like I just was watching you do this on Netflix a little while ago. Um, but I, I think the probably the most interesting scene, and I think the scene people go back to is the phone call scene, right? I guess technically just the whole third act is is this dare that Jim Parsons is this game, but also really a dare that Jim Parsons is making everybody in the room play to call their, their past loves and kind of kick up these like emotional scars and wounds for themselves. And uh, it brings to the surface, I think a lot of the issues that um, people who are struggling with that gender identity or that sexual identity, uh, maybe go through it at times. I mean, not obviously not all people go through that, but um, 
I think, you know, it was interesting seeing Andrew Rannell's character talk through with his boyfriend, you know, how he doesn't believe in monogamy and he doesn't yeah. really want to stay committed and things like that. I thought that was a really interesting issue to flesh out. Um, you know, I, I really liked when Harold, you know, uh, Quinto kind of confronted uh, Jim Parsons about his own self-hatred and how he's projecting that onto everybody by making them play this game in this way. That was a really strong moment that kind of like took my breath away in a sense watching this. So there's like some really awesome moments. I think, I think it's also just heavy in a lot of ways because these are people who are all struggling in different senses for different, different uh, things. And, um, kind of just leaves you feeling uh, a bit broken at the end. You know, uh, it's tough at points. What were some scenes or moments that really stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, to that to that point, what you were saying, everybody in the cast, for the most part, is kind of bringing something to the table in terms of what their character is, right? Like like how they touch on, like, uh, Emery. Emery's presence as someone who's very flamboyant and, and effeminate and, yep. and, and out, right? And then mm-hmm. you contrast that with someone like Bernard, who also has to be a black gay man on top of mm-hmm. just being a gay man, right? And yeah. I mean, what was Harold, right? Like Harold's dealing with aging mm-hmm. and becoming less, his self-worth de- declining as a result, right? And then you have uh, the cowboy dude <laughs> yeah. just getting racked on for being handsome yet uh, unintelligent. It's like, yeah, it did. Like, wow, it's like, it's, it's quite the party, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, I, I guess one thing that I felt was predictable was, um, what's his name? Alan. Alan. Uh, Alan obviously calling his wife. Something going on. Oh, it's yeah. pretty, pretty obvious. Right. Like, it's not explicitly said. Right. And I believe that's the way the play stages it too is that there's some ambiguity to that. And like, ending the thing in general is kind of ambiguous mm-hmm. but yeah I, there's kind of a lot a lot a lot to chew on with, with this and um i just kind of like watching everyone vamp and kind of yeah. go back and forth and again it's a lovely apartment to spend time in that is the really nice thing about adapting a play to screen is um those moments that you would get for each character on a, a you know theater stage are a little bit more emphasized and highlighted here like being so close to Jim Parsons as his character is just berating these people to make these phone calls or like the close-up on um the um, Michael Benjamin who played Bernard and as he was kind of like realizing what he had done and like the emotional mm-hmm. wounds he had opened it just was like really I think hit you um in a way that you you don't get watching it just like a uh, long longer um, or like a further back shot like you were sitting in the crowd or something like that so some uh, I I think this is impressive in a lot of ways and there's some really great stuff here I just think it's maybe not a movie I'll find myself going back to too much but um, great performances like you said any yeah. last thoughts you good yeah, no I mean uh, this was a Ryan Murphy production he's he working helped. He helped uh, get this stage play to the screen. And we can't wait for Monster. (laughs) Always something with that guy. Netflix is keeping him busy. But this uh, is actually a good use of his talents, I'd say. I I agree. 
he's the most prolific uh, gay producer there is right now. I'm pretty sure. So, mm-hmm. so it kind of makes sense that they they would make sure he gave everything he could to this. And uh, Joe Mantello, you know, he's also in the normal heart. He's been pretty active lately, and I liked him a lot in Hollywood. So that Murphy synergy coming back. So yeah, um, didn't really know what to expect going in, and I was pleasantly surprised by the boys in the band. I agree. Dave, what do we got for next week? Yeah, so next week we'll talk about the conclusion of The Boys Season 2. Very exciting. Hell yeah. Then we got some new music. We got Your Guys, Future Islands, one of your favorite bands ever. <laughs> Reason, a very intriguing rapper on TDE. And then the debut album from Hetty One, something we've already discussed this year. So I'm sure we'll have more, more to come as well. So. <sighs> Man, Stay tuned. I'm praying for another uh, surprise drop. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie, uh, that way we can take future islands off. But, anyways, uh, <laughs> we'll be talking about it all next week. Subscribe on YouTube.com/slash NostalgiaPod, SoundCloud.com/slash pod at NostalgiaPod on Twitter, and follow Dave at Martin Swagger. We'll see you next week. Peace out. Yeah.